Yeah. Okay. Now you hear me. <laughs> wow, that was wonderful time of uh, worship, and as we really bathe into the presence of the Lord, uh, as uh, Pastor Donnie has reminded us that this month, uh, this month we are emphasizing on families and uh, family is so important because right from the beginning when we set up this team and uh, as a reminder to all of us I did mention I did mention that you know to build a strong legacy it has to begin from the home right and uh, if we want to have a strong legacy as a church it begins from the home from the family uh, the church can only be as strong as the families too right so therefore it's so important that we give this emphasis on building a, a, a godly family. Therefore, my message this morning is legacy of a godly family. Legacy of a godly family. And what is God's desire for the family? How can we build a legacy of a godly family? All, all of us are in a family. And perhaps some of you, you know, uh, you feel that, you know, will I be missed out in this message on family because I don't have a family of my own? Maybe some of you are singers. Uh, maybe some of you, you know, uh, that you are alone, staying on your own. You say, I don't have a family. Actually, all of us do have a family because all of us do have parents. All of us do have grandparents. Right? And uh, most of us have siblings. Some of us don't have siblings because you're the only child. Uh, but you do have your relative. Right? You do have your cousin and so on and so forth. So somehow we are related to a biological family. Right? If you don't have a family of your own, you do have your parents that are your family too. So therefore, this message is for all of us. And perhaps some of you are saying that, hey, but I, 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 I'm not coming from a Christian home, you know. Most of my family members, they are not believers. And perhaps I'm the only Christian at home. It's all right. It's all right. Because from your example, you can be an influence to them too. So therefore, this message is for everyone. Uh, yes, even though there may be a strong emphasis for those who are parents, who are children, who are a Christian home, but it does apply. The same principle applies to each and every one of us. So I don't want you to feel left out. You just pick whatever principle that can apply to you in your present situation. And perhaps your situation may change. And for some of you who are young, your situation may change. Right? You may not be uh, having a family yet, but you may be having a family in the near future. So therefore, uh, you still can pick up some of the things that we are going to learn today. <clears throat> what will a godly family be like? And when you turn to the pages of the Bible, we can find that God shows deep concern for the family. We know that God created man, God created woman, so that they can procreate. And God put man and woman together as one flesh. Adam and Eve came together as one flesh and God rewarded them and blessed them with children. Yes, children are reward from the Lord. Amen? Yeah, it's a blessing from God. It's a heritage that comes from the Lord. Uh, so it's a, a, a God rewarded them and God desired the family should stay true to the faith and his covenant with the family is from generation to generation. The Bible tells us that God is a God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So it is a godly family line. I want you to know that the family life that God has said, when he said that he's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it is a godly family line. And it's God's desire that this godly family life should remain that way. But unfortunately, the subsequent generation broke faith with God, and therefore they lost their blessing. But thank God later on Christ came 
Christ came to restore that which was broken. And he desired that we as his new covenant people, now we are the new covenant people of God, and he desired that we will begin to rebuild godly family of faith. So each Christian family, each Christian household should be that of a godly family line. So in the, in the Bible, we have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe in the new modern family, we have you know, the God of David and Jared and Dominic. Correct? Yeah, and then you can put your name there, your children's name there, and your grandchildren's name there, so that the godly family life will continue on. Alright, so what then are the traits of the godly family? If, if we want to build on the legacy of a godly family, we need to know what are the traits, what God expects of us. The very first trait, very simple, straightforward, but it's not that easy to follow, is to love God. Love God, right? If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we are not going to look into the scripture yet, but I want you to turn your Bible to that. And uh, we, we will just, you know, come to certain passages from time to time, and you will just refer to your Bible, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6. The background of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that, that the children of Israel has come out of Egypt, and they have wandered in the wilderness for the past 40 years, and the old generation has passed away because of their rebellion against God, and now left the new generation. Uh, what left behind, you know, you have Moses, right, before God took him away, right, and uh, Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, but he was, you know, just at the other side. And then you have Joshua, you have Caleb, two whom God had raised up. They are going to lead the new generation into the promised land. But before they cross over and before God took Moses home, there is a final instruction given to the children of Israel. And this final instruction was given, and then Moses, with this young generation, led by new leaders, they are going to enter the promised land. As an old man now, he's going to give the final instruction that he received from God, how they ought to live their life when they enter into the land that God has given to them. And so in verse 1 to verse 3, let's take a look at the scripture. In verse 1 to verse 3, it says here, right, and these are the commands, decrees, and the law of the Lord your God. They directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So what Moses is trying to tell them is that, hey, look, these are the many instructions, the commandments that God has given you that when you enter into the land that you are to observe and then this instruction is given to the whole household. It's not just given to the father. It's not just given to the grandfather. It's given to the entire generation, grandfather, father, children, and the children after them. 
right? And when they do that, if everyone do that, if every generation do that, they will enjoy long life and they will be fruitful and they will be blessed in the land that God has given to them. And now, what are those instructions? What are those commandments that God has given to them that all of them, that the entire household must obey? The top of the command, right, in verse 5, it is simply to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Of the many commandments that are stipulated, this one, top it all, the first one, number one, is to love God. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. How do we know we love God? What are the expressions of loving God? What are some of the practical ways that we can live out our life to show that we really love God? It is easy to say that to have a godly family, we love God. But how do I know I love God? And of course, you know, when you look, read through this entire passage again, it was very clearly stated that one of the ways we love God is to obey His command. Uh, to obey His command. And again, you notice that this is for the entire family. Let's continue to read now. We are going to read verse 6 to verse 9. In verse 6 to verse 9, this is what it says here. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and of your gates. If we want to teach our children to obey, or if you are the elder sister, you want to teach the younger sibling to obey, you realize that we must first learn to obey. So as parents, you want your children to obey God's commandment, we must first obey ourselves. If we want the next generation to love God, we, the older generation, must set the example. And if you happen to be the only Christian at home, then you will have to set the example of what it is to love God as a Christian believer. So that your influence will be on your family and they can see the difference in your life. They see how you live out your Christian life. And they will be amazed as the way God expands you, as the way God bless you, as the way God empowered you. So don't feel left out. You feel that, but I am the only Christian in the home. But it can start from you. And from you, you can be a blessing to the family. And then when they look at your life, and later on when they look at how God bless you, they know. They know that you love God and God's blessing is upon you. So this is the responsibility of the parents to help their children to obey God's command and go and grow. And in fact, it clearly, it's clearly shows us that in the home, this is where the knowledge of God is taught. It is in the home that children are exposed to the scripture. It is very unfortunate that many Christian parents do not know enough to teach their children. It is quite common to hear that parents, they will coach their children in their homework. And nowadays, you know, right, it's not easy and you realize that, you know, uh, besides just sending them to tuition, it may not be sufficient. Uh, sometimes the homework can be crazy, especially if your children go to Chinese school, you know. And uh, sometimes there are so many things to catch up with. And therefore, 
parents will spend some time to teach their children. They teach their children mathematics, yeah, they coach their children in science, in the English language, so they can speak well, so on and so forth. They can do all these things. They can tutor their children in their education. But when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the Bible, they cannot. Why? Because they themselves are not knowledgeable. So therefore, my challenge to you today as parents is that, that if, if you have been tutoring your children with their homework, fantastic, you are a good parent because you are concerned with their education. You spend time with them to help them to build them up. But my challenge to you is that go one step further. What about spiritual knowledge? What about Christian education? What about the knowledge of the Word of God? So that besides teaching them what is needed for life, teach them what is needed for their spiritual life too. So equip yourself with the Word of God because your children will follow after your example. Now, if you live out your Christian life throughout the week, they will learn to live out their Christian life throughout the week. But you live out your Christian life only on Sunday, they too will think that Christianity is meant for Sunday only. So if we desire to have a Christian home that is godly and blessed by God, love God. Love God by obeying His command. Let the word of God be the guiding principle. In fact, when you read this passage of scripture, it's telling us that we must you know, put the scripture all over. In, in other words, it's okay to decorate your house with scriptures. Right? That's why you see some people, they will have the plaque, you know, at the door floor frame. Because they say, well, put it over the door frame, you know. Right? You can decorate in your wall, you can. Huh? So you see some houses, they love to do that. Of course, modern houses, minimal. They say, I don't want to hang all these things now. But you know what? They actually got it from the Bible here. They actually got the scripture. And literally, the Jews follow it. Literally, they not only you know, have scripture verses in their house, they literally you know, put scripture verses in a little box and tie around their forehead and bind around your hand. They literally do this. But of course, the word of God is not asked to literally bind it. But rather, the word of God says, we must impress upon our heart that is most important. That's most important, we must impress upon our heart. So we must cover our family with the word, we must cover our family with prayer, and let prayer be the shield that protects the family. So if you are the only Christian in the home, your prayer can cover your family. Your prayer can cover the family so that one day, they will also come to know Christ. Your prayer can cover your family so that God will also protect your family because of your unceasing prayer for them. When you live by the word of God, when you live a godly life, let them be amazed and let them be amused by the godly example that you set. And so we love God by obeying His command and we love God by fearing Him too. Because in verse 13 here, it says, Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only and take your oath in His name. Do not follow other gods, the God of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. And His anger will burn against you and He will destroy you from the face of the land. Wow, this is something very scary, you know. Right? It says that we must fear the Lord our God. We must swear by His name only. We must only take oath of His name. To fear God means what? There must be no other gods in our life. It's very clearly stated in this passage of scripture that you must not follow after other gods. You must not have any idols in your life. 
There is a first and the second commandment that God has given to us, right? And there must not be any idol in our life. Why? Because God said that He is a jealous God. God will be jealous because He does not want to share His honor with anybody else. He does not want to share the worship of God with anybody else. Because He has redeemed us, He loves us, He has done so much for us. He said we must not follow other gods. So in other words, God will be upset when we put other things in place of Him. He will be angry and He may even discipline us. But well, many of us are saying, well, it's okay, you know, I don't have any other idols in the house. You know, I just worship the Lord God alone. But yet there are many, many modern day idols. There are many modern day idols in our life. Our handphone can be an idols. Our iPad can be our idols. Uh, our computer can be our idols. All the gadget that we have can be our idols. Our money can be an idols. God will be angry when we place these things before Him. In fact, I was quite amused. One of my pastor friends, you know, he took a picture, you know, and he, he used this caption in Chinese. Right? And there were two of his little girls right, opening an iPad in front and they were glued to the iPad. He put a caption there. More than toy. Modern author. Because in every in you know traditional Chinese family, the older generation, when you enter the house, they will be this Chinese author. Right? And then people will pray every day. But then now the modern author he called it is that, that everybody will be there looking at it. I feel rather amused. Do you have modern author? <laughs> that the computer, the iPad become the idol in your life? There's so much so that we can spend two hours in front of the computer right, and browsing through all the news, browsing through all our you know, Facebook, all the messages, but we don't have time to spend 10 minutes to read the Bible. We can read all kinds of things through the computer, but we cannot spend 10 minutes reading the Bible. 10 minutes reading the Bible, we say very sleepy. Two hours on the computer, not sleepy, very exciting. Ah, and then we can, you know, WhatsApp our friend. We can spend many hours, you know, chit-chatting and laughing through, you know, right? uh, 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 WhatsApping, you know. And then we cannot spend 10 minutes in prayer. You see? So sometimes we have idol in our life without knowing. And God says, I'm a jealous God. When you spend all the time with all these things, and you don't spend time with me, I'm jealous. Wow. God is jealous. Sometimes it's okay to be jealous. Right? There are certain things in life you are not jealous, there's something wrong. Husband, won't you be jealous if your wife is going out with another man? There's something wrong, you don't feel jealous. On the other hand, why? Won't you be jealous if you know that your husband is dating another girl behind you? Will you be jealous? Hello? You're not jealous, Anna? You're so free, Anna? Of course, you'll be jealous. Something is wrong. If you are not jealous, isn't it? Right? You'll be jealous. Right? Do you know that sometimes fathers get jealous when their daughter begins to date? Alright, you see? Father get jealous because this is their daughter. You know, suddenly they see their daughter is going out with another man of, in their life. The father used to be the only man in their daughter's life. And now my daughter is going with another man. Father get jealous. How many of you father get jealous? 
<laughs> you are not the only one. One of my pastor friend was telling me, you know, one day he was sitting, you know, and then, you know, uh, th with the daughter and things like that. And, you know, when I think something dropped, uh, and this young man uh, nearby the daughter uh, was trying to help the daughter. He got so angry, he hold the chair, he want to whack the guy, you know. <laughs> then the wife asked him, cool down, cool down, cool down, you know, because she don't want the man to touch his daughter, you see. <laughs> jealousy. Sometimes jealousy is good. So, but God loves us. He loves us so much. He don't want us to go to somebody else. He don't want something else to pull our attention away from Him. That's why God says, He is a jealous God. Right? So, it's good sometimes we have godly fear because we know that, you know, God will discipline us. It's good to have fear. Say, for example, in the home, it is good that children are afraid when parents are angry. When children are afraid of parents, when parents are angry, when parents want to discipline them, it's good. Why? Because they can be disciplined. But it will be very bad if, if the child is not afraid of the parents of all, at all. It's very difficult for the parents to discipline their children when their children are not afraid of them. You just hold the cane in your hand without going nearer to them. Immediately they obey good because they fear you, they fear the cane. But you take the cane, you know, and you put the cane in front of them. They still don't bother. They are not afraid of you. Why? Because some parents hold the cane, but the cane never falls on their children. The cane will fall on the floor. I wake you one up, pa, 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 you hit the floor. <laughs> you don't forget me. I wake you, you wake, but you wake at the table's leg and the chair's leg. You never hit them. They will never be afraid of you. I have one auntie like that. Take the king, chase the child over, but never fall on the child one. Of course, the child run all over. In fact, the child is making you run around the house. And at the end of the day, you, I don't want to wait already. I'm very tired. Sure, like you have been beating the floor, you have been beating the wall. You beat everything except the child. The child is not afraid. Then you cannot discipline the child. You see? So therefore, sometimes it's good. Parents, do you want your children to fear you? Right? Of course, you want your children to love you, but at the same time, fear, fear you in the, in the positive sense. Not that the children are afraid of you, see father mean run away, no. But in the godly sense, in the positive sense, that when, you do, when they do wrong and you get upset, they know I'm doing wrong. I'm making my parents upset. I know what I'm doing is not right. My parents were disciplining me for the wrong I have done. That is good. Then they learn. Just like in school. I, nowadays, children, school children are not afraid of teachers anymore. Why? Because the children are not, the teachers are not allowed to discipline them. Gone are the days where the headmaster go around with the cane and they train up good people, right? Many of our leaders are being trained under the cane. Take away the cane. And what kind of leaders do we have? So similarly, we need to fear God. In a godly sense, in a positive sense. Not only we are to obey His commandment, not only we are to fear God, we are to serve God. It's a blessed thing to serve God. A godly family is one that serves the Lord together. How wonderful if you have a whole family that serves God together. But again, as we serve, you grow. Don't delegate serving God to just a member of the family. As pastors, sometimes it's quite often we hear, no? can you please serve? No, la, my husband serve can already, la, I don't need to serve. No, la, my wife, la, my wife do all the serving. I think one person in the family do can already, la, you know. I, I don't need to. Hear that or not? Yeah. 
<laughs> right? So Brother Lam give all the answer can already la. We just keep quiet <laughs> Delegation <laughs> But there are things you cannot delegate Just like salvation cannot be delegated You say, I cannot you know, uh, uh, stand in proxy of my, of my spouse uh, To enter the kingdom of God No such thing Your spouse have to know Christ Accept Christ and enter the kingdom of God herself so in serving God, there's no such thing as proxy. Well, I have five members of the family, two serve God in Nara, the three just relax. No such thing by proxy. Because when we grow, we grow individually. So therefore, it's good that the whole family serve the Lord together and grow together. Right? And when the whole family serve together, you realize that they have a stronger sense of belonging to the church together. Uh, they will have a stronger, they will draw closer to each other, they will draw closer to the church family. That's the reason why Joshua made this statement. He said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He didn't say, as for me, I will serve the Lord. He didn't say, as for me and my wife, we will serve the Lord. He said, as for me and my household, my entire household, we will serve the Lord. And I believe that Joshua did so. He and his family served the Lord. But unfortunately, after his generation, the Bible tells us that after Joshua's generation, the subsequent generation did not know the Lord and they failed to serve God. And therefore, in the book of Judges, everybody did things in their own way, in their own eyes. It was very sad. All right? Let's talk about David a little bit. We know that David loved God. Talk about loving God. David loved God, a man after God's heart. And in fact, David passed down the legacy to Solomon. He asked Solomon to love God. In fact, he prepared all the material for Solomon to build the temple for God. And Solomon listened to the advice of King David. Solomon started well. Solomon loved God in the beginning. He built a temple of the Lord. He sought the Lord. And he asked God for wisdom of all the things that God asked him what he wants. He said, God, I want wisdom so that I can rule your people with wisdom, with righteousness that come from you. He started well. He started loving God. But down the road, the Bible tells us that his love became divided by his many wives and concubines. I almost say concubines, you know. That's what I was thinking. Okay, concubines, right? His love, the Bible says that his love was divided, right? There was a divided devotion because of the divided love. He no longer loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. What happened? That the, the legacy of loving God was not passed down to Solomon's son, who is Rehoboam. So by the time Rehoboam came and took over the kingdom, where shortly the kingdom was divided. Why? God's punishment. God's punishment. God said, I'm jealous. You know? That's why God said, fear the Lord. Love God. Obey Him. Fear Him. Because Solomon's heart was divided. When it comes down to the sun, it is worse. And it, at the end of the day, the judgment of God came and the kingdom was torn apart. This shows the failure of the home. David was a good king. David was a man of faith. David was a good leader. David was a strong warrior. But David was a poor father. We can emulate David for his love for God. We can emulate David for his faith. We can emulate David for his courage, for his worship, for his devotion. But we cannot emulate his fatherhood. He failed as a father. 
He loved God, but he did not pass down the spiritual value to his many children. I hope that this will be a warning to all of us, especially those of us who are parents. The love for God must not stop at your generation. You must be able to teach the children after you to love God as well. Your children will catch it whether you love God or not. Therefore, above all else, love God. The second trait of a godly family, besides loving God, has to do with relationship in the home. There is mutual respect and acceptance. You know, a family is a safe place for everyone. It's a place that we can be ourselves, we can be honest with one another. It's a place that we show our true color, right? It's a place that we pull off our mask. In other words, it's a place we can be ourselves and still find acceptance. The reason why that we can be so free in our home is because we find acceptance within the same family unit. And mutual respect and acceptance can be expressed at home at different levels. At different levels of mutual respect and acceptance. The first level has to do with the parents. That means husband and wife. Uh, there is a, some kind of a, a respect and acceptance uh, that is stated in the Bible. You, know, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33. We are not going to read it, but when you turn to the passage of Scripture, the Bible tells us how husband and wife can show mutual respect and acceptance. Now, it's very clearly stated that husband is called to love the wife to, as, to the extent of giving up his life for, he, for her, and wife is called to submit to the husband as unto the Lord. And in doing so, both are actually showing respect to one another and accepting each other just as he is or just as she is. Husband and wife need to accept each other's imperfection and continue to love each other as during courtship day. During courtship day, you realize that you have imperfection too. But because love is blind, you didn't see the imperfection. But after married, love no longer blind, you see all the imperfection. Right? But yet, in spite of all the imperfection, you are to accept. You are still to respect each other. You are still to love. You are still to submit. There is a kind of a mutual respect that God is required. So when both parties learn to respect each other in spite of all the differences and all the imperfections they have seen, it will provide a peaceful environment when there's mutual respect there will be peaceful in the home. And when there's a peaceful environment, you provide a security to the children. Children need to find security in the home. When children are secure, they will grow up wholesome. Uh, they will grow up also wanting to follow God. If husband and wife cannot show respect to one another, do not expect your children to show respect to you. And do not expect your children to learn to show respect to their own sibling because there's no respect shown by parents, by husband and wife. So if husband and wife are not in good terms, don't expect to have a happy family. Children will sense it no matter how young they are. Even a young kid can sense if parents are fighting each other. A young kid can sense if parents are not in good terms. A young kid can sense that the parents may be staying together in the same roof, but their heart is apart from one another. Children can sense it, and that sense of insecurity will affect their development. So therefore, 
the first level of mutual respect and acceptance must be between husband and wife. So work on your marriage life. You want to build a godly family. Maybe some of you are actually struggling in your marriage life. Maybe some of you are just trying to cover up the struggle that you have. Maybe some of you in front of the children, you pretend to be good, but behind the children, you are having a lot of talks. Don't be fooled. Your children will not be fooled. You may not say it, they may not ask, but they can sense it. They can sense it. So therefore, I urge you, husband and wife, work on your relationship. Not just for the young couples, but for older couples. Especially those couples when you begin to experience the emptiness syndrome. When you're back to face each other all day long. Especially when now you are retiring. In the past, you see your spouse in the morning, in the night. In between, you don't see. But after retirement, you see your spouse 24 hours a day. You know, sometimes I go back to my family gathering, you know, and, and, and I overheard my sister-in-law say, yeah, la, you know, sometimes I retire already, like it was. That's why sometimes he wants to play golf. Go, 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 go and play golf. Don't have, come and disturb me in the house. <laughs> you know? So sometimes my sister-in-law say, yeah, la, I'd rather he go out. La. <laughs> you know? Don't stay whole day in the house. Somehow the friction will be there. You know, courtship day, you want to see each other 24 hours. After retirement, you wish that you have some time of break. Work at your relationship. Right? Set the good example. That is the first level. Build your fam- uh, marriage life. And the second level is between children and parents. How are children going to relate to the parents? The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 4. Right? And uh, the scripture is very clearly stated. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. This is the first commandment with a promise. Children, you are to honor your parents. And the promise is that, that you will enjoy long life. You see, God placed such a good, a strong emphasis in honoring or showing respect to our parents. When we honor our parents, when we, we will listen to them, we will obey them, and God will bless us. Do you want to live long? <laughs> One of my child tell me, maybe, you know, we shouldn't respect you so much because I don't want to live long. <laughs> no, that one is only joke. Right? Yeah, we want to live long, right? And in fact, the next verse, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. When you listen to your parents, many times children consider their parents' teaching and reminders as nagging. But yet at the end of the day, those nagging may turn out to be gems that save the day. And the Bible says that, you know, it will become like a garland, you know, right? And a chain, you know, that will adorn your neck. In other words, when, when the day you become successful, when the day you become honorable, when the day when you have a good reputation, 
When the day people look at you in respect, you can turn back and remember. It started off when I was young. It started off when my father, when my mother teach me. And I remember their teaching. Many of us here are adults. Many of us here are parents. And uh, many of us here are grandparents too. Now, let me ask you a question. No matter how old you are, do you still remember some of the teaching, some of the nagging of your father and mother? Remember or not? Yeah. It doesn't matter how old you are. You still remember what your father, what your mother taught you while you were a little child. And some of the things that our parents will properly teach us are very practical, right? Don't simply follow stranger, correct or not? Right? Huh? You must address the elderly, call uncle, call auntie, right? Be hardworking, isn't it? Listen to your teacher, so on and so forth. Our parents will teach us some of the practical things in life. Now, when you go to people's house, behave yourself, don't simply touch things. These are the little, little things our parents will teach us. When you go to school, uh, you must study hard. Don't cheat in the exam, you know. You see? So parents teach us all these little things in life we remember. So children, honor your parents. I'm not referring just to the youth. Many of us still have our parents. Continue to honor our parents while they are still around. While they, we still have them with us, continue to honor them. And of course, the next level is between siblings. Now, between siblings is very, you know, delicate. How many of you have siblings at home? Yeah, yeah siblings. Yeah. All right. How many of you are only child? Only child. Poor you. <laughs> hey, you're not the only child, okay. <laughs> uh, well, you realize that... Sorry, <laughs> I got distracted by my son. <laughs> okay, when you talk about sibling, that's, <laughs> I would like you to refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is not referring to the biological family. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is referring to the church as the body of Christ, that there are many, uh, there are many members in one body. But I believe the same principle can apply to the biological family as well. Because in this passage of scripture, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, let's just take a look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse <clears throat> 21 to 26. It is familiar because we read it many times, uh, uh, especially sometimes when we want to you know, pray for members uh, during membership intake, uh, we read it. But let me just read it and we learn to apply it in the biological home too. In verse 21 to verse 26, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And we know that in this passage of Scripture, it talks about diversity. Every child is born different. Everyone has a different gifting. Some are intellectually smart, 
Some are musically smart, some are mu uh, uh, creatively smart, and some are smart in the craft and hand, and they are smart in different, different ways. Right? And for those of us who have more than one child, we have the privilege of bringing up children who are uniquely different even though they come from the same genes. Am I right? Hello? Oh, you only have one child? <laughs> no! They are so uniquely different, come from the same father, come from the same mother, but they are all different. God knows that our family life will be very, very boring if our children are all the same. It will be very boring. So God spice up our life with, different, with children of different characteristics. Therefore, we need to appreciate every member of the family for spicing up our lives. So those of you siblings, appreciate your brothers, your sister who irritate you because they spice up your life. <laughs> huh? If your brothers and sisters are all the same, well, no fun, right? Huh? Can you imagine whole family love to read books? Everybody come back from school, everyone in their homeroom, whole house, everybody read books on. Don't do anything else. Life will be very boring, isn't it? But you know that diversity has advantage too, especially when it comes to food. Huh? Look at the part of the chicken. Right? If every family member loves the drumstick, you don't have enough and they were fighting. But if somebody loves the drumstick, another person loves the chicken backside, easy lah. You eat the chicken backside and eat the drumstick. Isn't it? No fight. So diversity has its advantage too. So therefore, don't get upset with your brother, with your sister. There must be mutual you know, respect for each other. And not only mutual respect, acceptance. Accepting those who are different from us. Accepting the weaker member of the family. Uh, your brother, your sister may not be as smart as you, intellectually, academically, but they can be better than you in other areas. Right? Uh, accepting them, uh, show respect. From young children are taught to respect their parents, honor the parents, and children are also taught to respect the older sibling. In a typical Chinese family, younger sibling don't call older sibling by name, isn't it? They always call Koko Jie Right? They don't usually call by name from a traditional Chinese family. So even when you grow old, I, when I see my brother, I still call my brother as brother, as Tai Ko, as Tai Jie. I don't call them by name. Even until, you know, the day you're going to say goodbye to them for eternity, you still call, address them in a respectful manner. All right? So therefore, we have to learn respect. We respect the elder. But that does not mean the elder sibling can bully the young one. How many of you who are the elders in the family? Raise your hand. I mean, I include the adults too. Include the adults too. Have you ever bullied your younger brother or sister before? <laughs> God gives you younger siblings, not for you to bully, but for you to take care. <laughs> for you to take care, isn't it? Because you've got greater sense of responsibility, all right? And uh, 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 unfortunately, if, if you know, children are not able to accept one another, uh, or if they are jealous you know, over the other uh, family member, 
it can cause a lot of chaos in the home. I, recently, I read an article, rather sad, because nowadays the world has gone so bad that, you know, especially in the Western world, they allow people to determine what gender they like. You may be born a boy, but then you can say that actually I'm a girl that is trapped in boy body. So I want to go for a sex change. I want to become a transgender. I want to be a girl say I want to be a boy, or the boy can say I want to be a girl. And the, the scary part is that it's not happening in just adults. They are allowing children to make the choice. And so this pedestrian is writing about his own experience. From his point of view, of course, he's against it. And he said that one day this boy, maybe about five years old, right? And uh, that was brought to him. And the boy behaved very girly and wanted to be a girl. Right? And then, you know, sometimes people say, oh, maybe he's born that way, you know. Maybe he's born, he's really a girl, but trapped in boy body. But physically speaking, it shouldn't be. Biologically speaking, it shouldn't be. So this guy began to talk to the boy. And then they found out something, the background. You see, all these are psychological. Uh, all this is how sometimes family affect them. And because he got another sister. But this sister... Uh, is a special child. And because this sister is a special child, the parents spend all their attention on this child. And then he began to relate. My parents love my sister because she is a girl. If I am a girl, my parents would love me more. So he was very sad. So he relate to that. He can't see that the, the, the parent is giving attention to this special child. But he, he considered it because they love girl more than they love boy. So therefore, I want to be a girl. You see? So it's something that is, you know, psychological. Maybe because to, to him, parents show favoritism. So I want to be a, a girl. So that means what, what are we going to do? That in the home, yes, even though we want to show love, attention to the weaker one, but don't forget the stronger one. Sometimes as parents, we tend to pay attention to the weaker one, the one that's more sickly, the one that's more, you know, having problems. You give a lot of attention to nurse them, to help them, but to the extent that we neglect the stronger one and the stronger one begins to feel jealous. Then I must well be weak too. Right? Then you have a lot of sibling rivalry. There are a lot of sibling rivalry in the Bible. Right? Cain and Abel, uh, Cain was jealous because Abel's offering was accepted by God. Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was jealous right, that Isaac would take over his position at the heir. Esau versus Jacob. They fought over the birthright and they fought over the father's blessing. Jacob's ten sons versus Joseph. The rivalry started from their mothers trying to gain their father's love. Two mothers. And that's why they start fighting each other. The two women fight each other until the children also fight each other. It spilled over to them, especially when Joseph was favored. They all fought for acceptance. They all fought for love from their father. So what do we learn? None of these incidents of sibling rivalry in the Bible turned out well. One ended in murder. One was being sent away. One had to run away. 
The other one was sold as a slave. All the sibling rivalry in the Bible ended tragically. So therefore, those of you brothers and sisters in the home, I stop your sibling rivalry. Right? Is there sibling rivalry at home? I'm sure there are. From young, you can see right, little toddler brothers and sisters. They will fight over the same chair. There may be ten chairs in the house, but they just want to pick the particular chair and fight over one chair. Correct or not? Yeah. Don't know why. You see, right? And uh, you know, so they want to have the same thing. They why? Because they want to fight over the parents' attention. There are some common areas that cannot accept one another. Maybe some have their own uh, uh, characteristic weaknesses and flaws. The other sibling cannot. Right? The, the weaknesses can include some bad habit, right? some irritable habit. Right? And so they cannot accept each other or they compare one with another. Want to be better than the other person. Want to fight for parents' favour. Right? And especially we talk about the middle child syndrome. The middle child always feels that uh, feel left out. Right? They think they are only getting the second best. All their attention go to the first one because first one at that time don't have other children yet. They get all their attention. Then the second one come along, think that he or she get all the attention, but at last the third one come along. And then all the attention go to the youngest one. So the middle child, we call it the middle child syndrome. And so, do you show favoritism as parents? Do you think I show favoritism? I think yes. I, I, because I told, my, I told my middle child, you are my favorite daughter. And then my son come along and say, what about me? I said, you are my favorite son. He said, yes, by default, because you're only one son. <laughs> and then my eldest, my favorite firstborn. So I show favoritism to all three of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever, let them interpret it. <laughs> but my point is that to build a godly home, we need to put aside all our self-centeredness and learn to respect and accept one another. Parents, you must need to accept each child as unique and love all the same without showing favoritism. And then verse 4, fathers, or in fact we should say parents, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Parents, sometimes the way we treat our children, we provoke them. But you say rather bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Parents must accept your children as God given to you. They may not be as smart as you want them to be. They may not be as handsome or pretty you wish them to be. But accept them as they are and love them as they are. Don't pick on one child that you don't like. Don't say that you are the black sheep of the family. I hope you don't have a black sheep in the family. Uh, that you love all the same. Setting up of a godly family begins with parents. And the last one, very quickly, I just wrap it up and say that forgive one another. Forgive one another because the Bible says that be kind and compassionate. Forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgive you. A godly home is not a perfect home. It's not perfect. Right? A godly home is a home that learns to forgive. Learn to accept and learn to forgive. Parents forgive each other. Husband and wife forgive each other. Every member of the family easily forgive each other and keep no record of wrong. Joseph forgave his brothers. That's why what made Joseph great, it was not just that he was 
a, a dreamer, he was a man of faith, but at the end of the day, he forgave. He forgave his brothers who have done so much harm to him. At the, at, at the end of the day, he fed their family. He provided shelter to them. Even until he died, his heart had no ill feeling towards them. That is forgiveness. Sometimes it's easier to forgive a stranger than to forgive those closer to us. Because usually we are hurt the most by them. Yet the Bible teaches us to keep forgiving. You want to have a happy family? You want to have a godly family? Forgive. Unforgiveness between husband and wife can lead to divorce. But forgiveness can bring about reconciliation and healing. Unforgiveness is costly. Unforgiveness costs you your joy, costs you your peace, costs you your relationship, costs you your re spiritual walk with God, costs you your health, costs you your family. But forgiveness is free. It's, it's not only free from God, it set us free. It's free, it set us free. Right? We forgive without condition. It frees us from all the baggages that come along with unforgiveness. It sets us free from pain. It sets us free from emotional uh, uh, and mental stress. It frees us from sicknesses as well. Forgive. No family is ideal. No family is perfect. We all do falter. We all do fail. Parents at times fail in their parenting skills. Children fail by being disobedient. All of us do hurt one another from time to time in the home, either knowingly or unintentionally. To keep the peace of the family, we need to forgive and not become calculative. Forgive. Jesus tell Peter, don't keep score, don't count seven times seven, don't count. Just forgive. Husband and wife need to demonstrate forgiveness to their children. So they can learn to forgive one another after a fight. Children will learn forgiveness when they see how their parents forgive one another. They too will learn to forgive their parents. When we are forgiving, we teach our children to be forgiving. So children, forgive your parents for being unreasonable at times. Forgive your brothers, your sister for, mean, for being mean to you at times. Forgive. So the burden of a legacy of a godly family rests on the parent. It starts with your marriage. A secure marriage will bring security to the home and to the children. And with such harmony and security, the parents, the, the, the children will listen to the parents and the parents will be able to teach and discipline. So remember the traits of a godly family. Love God. Mutual respect and acceptance and forgive one another. Right. Shall we all look to the Lord in prayer? And I want you in your own prayer, pray for your family. Pray for your family. I pray that God will preserve your family. If you are parents here, pray that God will help you right, to have good parenting skills. If you are children here, pray for your parents. Right. If you are the only Christian in the home, Pray for God's grace and salvation to reach your family. Right? And if you feel that perhaps it's difficult for you uh, because you do not have your family yet, it's okay. You pray for your biological family.
We can all pray because we are all in the family. We are all related to someone that's close to us. We have our father, we have our mother, we have brothers, we have our sister. Hallelujah. Kura bariyan, sakara bariyan, sakara bariyan.